Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Yeah, our Father in heaven, we thank you for this chance in our weeks to just pause and recalibrate ourselves to your will to encourage one another to sing these words that proclaim the power of the cross. Jesus putting his life on the line for us. And we thank you, Father, you sent Jesus not to condemn, but to save. The image of love upon death's frame. Grace to grace. Grace on the cross. Grace in community that we experience here this morning the grace of all that you provide for us. Lord, as we gather here today, may you help us just to cheer each other on, to offer that smile, that kind word, a a shoulder to cry on, to mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. As we explore the really important question of what is true love today, help us to grasp your word to our hearts that we might be disciples ready to obey. In the powerful name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Please take a seat. Well, thank you, worship team. Really appreciate uh, all the young faces. I mean, uh, my role here, if you haven't met me already, Craig Palmer, young adults and discipleship pastor. So I think they just lined up all the young adults here alongside me. That was awesome. And uh, a few young at hearts at the back. That's great as well. <laughs> um, all right, just welcome you all here today, and especially those online that are joining us as well. Great to have you with us. I want to thank you for the warm welcome that uh, myself and my family have received. Uh, So many of you have just come up and encouraged us and say you're praying for us, and we really do appreciate that. I know uh, even as someone's speaking, uh, giving a message, that if you're thinking like, oh, that guy's not preaching so well, just pray harder. And it's amazing what happens. Um, So if you're ever disappointed, just Get some prayer happening. And I know many people have been praying for me. And, you know, there's a bit of nerves here today, first time and all that. Uh, but I know there's different ones that have said they'll, they'll willingly smile at me uh, just to give me a bit more confidence. Victor, you promised. Where are you? You're somewhere over there. There he is out the back. Nice. Thanks, Victor. Um, so, yeah, I have a privilege of starting this new series, uh, picking up from last month, Love Thy God, Heart, Soul, mind and strength, which is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Jewish Shema that is prayed. And today we're going to be kind of looking at the extension of that, of Jesus drawing together the core commandments of the kingdom of God. Now there's three places where this occurs, uh, Luke 10, Matthew 22, and what we're going to feature in on Mark 12 today. So it's going to come up on the screen, these words. Uh, It's a slightly different interaction here than the other two passages. Luke 10, Matthew 22, this teachers of the law are trying to test Jesus a bit to see what's he going to say, how's he going to react. Whereas this passage in Mark 12, it's not a test, but this teacher of law comes with curiosity. Let's read together. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. 
That is, who's the the them? Jesus and another Jewish subgroup, the Sadducees, were debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now it's interesting what happens next. The teacher of the law actually ends up cheering Jesus on in his words. He says, well said, teacher. The man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. You see, the words that Jesus was offering were not new to the teachers of the law. They knew this instruction, Deuteronomy 6, where he referred to, but also Leviticus 19, you can read around that, that actually says these words, love your neighbour as yourself. So the teachers of the law could agree very wholeheartedly with Jesus that these are core commandments. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbour as yourself. To think that all that we read in Scripture, it comes down to this, the simplicity of it. Isn't God good? That he gives us something easy that we can remember and uses a filter for all the other aspects of our life. Now this phrase, love your neighbour as yourself, it comes as one full set. I want you to hear me as I speak this out and those that will follow me will do the same. That the love that is expressed here, loving your neighbour, comes alongside as yourself. It's not a compromise, loving someone else and caring for self. They're not mutually exclusive, they're to be complementary. Self-respect and our identity as valued people in the image of God, it goes for us and the people that we love. It's a tension to hold because sometimes it feels like there's a decision to be made one way or the other, but it's something we must continue to take seriously and wrestle with God. What does it mean in each situation we face? So today we come to this question, what is love? That's my task to share with you this morning. What is the type of love that Jesus is talking about here? Some of you might be familiar, and uh, just quickly touch on this, but the love that's in these verses is that actually agape love. You might say it slightly differently, but it's uh, an others-centered kind of love. There's four types in Greek, and agape, philia, philia, sorry, brotherly love. These are the only two that actually occur in the Greek New Testament. But then there's eros and storge, Eros being romantic love, Storge being more of a, a family affection, love between family. So agape is the one 
that Jesus is referring to. Agape, the Lord your God. Agape, your neighbour as yourself. Next screen that we're going to be looking at is a, a mirror ball. I don't know if you've, uh, some of you were out at the nightclubs last night, was it? Yeah, I can see probably quite a few are quite tired from that. Um, but you know, a mirror ball, it reflects light. You, know, you throw light on it and it throws it out lots of different ways. And each facet shows a slightly different angle. And there are so many expressions of love, so many different facets to that, aren't there? Now, the reality is our view of love could have both healthy and unhealthy aspects to it, different facets, some that just reflect, life, reflect light beautifully and others that are kind of cracked and broken. So as Jesus speaks in this space about loving our neighbour as ourselves, I want us to consider today what is our existing working definition of love? What's our working definition of love? I say working because we can have a definition of love that is theoretical. You know, we kind of, I assent the idea of love being like that. But what, how does it work out? How does it happen in practice, the way that you love and experience love with those around you? Like I said, we, we have probably healthy images, we have unhealthy, broken, and beautiful sides to that. I have a friend of mine, some of you might know, his name's Hamo, and he tells a story of making some friends, he was in the northern suburbs, making some new friends with his neighbours a few years back, and this couple, they would catch up from time to time, it was really getting somewhere, building this friendship at one point, they had some disagreements through some of their conversations, and kind of life went on, but soon enough, Hamo and his wife, Danelle, they found out that others, from others in their community, that actually this couple that they're becoming friends with were actually kind of distanced themselves, and, you know, and um, Hamo and Danelle were a bit on the nose, you know, I don't really want to be around them anymore. And... Uh, so they tried to sort of touch base again. Said, haven't seen you guys for a while. We'd love to catch up. The couple, as they came with that offer, they're like, ah, oh, really? Are you sure? And they went on to tell Hamo that actually, normally if they got into a disagreement with some friends, they would just cut them off. They wouldn't bother kind of talking it through or anything. They're just like, let's go find some new friends. And then they'd do that with them until they got into conflict. And then they cut them off. That was their way of doing life. You know, Hamo and Danelle, they suggested an alternative that's like, no, it's like friendship. It's something we persevere. So you can see each of us, we carry the healthy, the unhealthy views of what love really is. So again, I ask the question, what is our, my working definition of love. How have you arrived at that definition? Who gets to influence our definition of love? Firstly, I think there's a temptation for us to agree with a general society definition of love. You know, we receive constant messaging 
around the kind of love making the world go round, the things you do for love. We spend all we have for love. You know, it's, I've seen people go over the other side of the world. Some of you might have even done that uh, for love. You know, recently we had Valentine's Day and we have a term, love is love, in our culture. And most of this is centred on romantic love. Add to that kind of the, the sexualized expression that bombards us constantly. Yeah, I'm no different than all of you as we feel that kind of subtle and not so subtle pressure to see things in the light of innuendo, you know, that side with, sideways look uh, that you see in the TV shows you might watch. Kind of these things are just coming into our mind regularly, kind of reinforcing an idea of what love might be like. Another place I just looked through uh, the ARIA charts, the top four songs for this past week, and uh, I don't know if that's a habit of yours to regularly look for the top four uh, charts. You know, if not, and that's not something you do, think of uh, a close friend who might, or a nephew, or a niece, or a grandchild. These are some of the messaging that's coming through in the songs. The top four songs are actually all breakup songs. Break up from relationship songs. Molly Cyrus sort of kicks it off with a bit, you know, she's sort of, I'm okay, I've broken up, but I can love myself better than anyone else, it's fine. Pink Panthers, they go on to kind of calling out um, the person that they were going out with, and it's like, ah, oh, he's a liar, he just wanted me for my good looks anyway. Well, then we step it right up very to Kill Bill. What a great name for a song. I mean, uh, Here's some of the words from this song. They've had a breakup, and this is how this person deals with the relationship breakdown. They actually go to the point of saying, I might kill my ex, I still love him though, rather be in jail than alone. If I can't have you, no one will. I did it all for love, I did it in, on no drugs, I did all this sober, don't you know I did it all for us? So actually this gesture is around, I'm expressing love by taking life. I mean, this is, it's phenomenal that these are the boppy lyrics you can just sing along to. You know, the last one, number four, escapism, it's less full on, but still uh, quite destructive. Broken heart after a breakup. It's pretty much go out in the town, get drunk, cut loose, Look for a one-night stand. This is coming at us all the time, structuring how we see love. If we're honest, we know that we all have a limited view of the world and therefore love. So statements in our culture like love is love seem at a first glance freeing, well-intentioned, but in fact, a so broad a statement that it leaves us individually and corporately confused. We don't know where to go with it. When there is no central way of defining love for all humanity, we find ourselves confused. We can easily fall into love that is fake, fractured, false rather than fruitful. And we struggle to know the difference between them. The reality is, 
God and humanity has an enemy that wants to serve this up to us, to rob, kill, and destroy. Now, isn't it brilliant that we don't have to make up our own definition or look around just to human examples about what love actually is? God of this cosmos feels that it is extremely important that we know what love is. How important? Well, in the words of 1 John 4, 8, God is love. A statement that the Bible makes about no other being. God's essence is love. He's the ultimate being of the cosmos and all that exists in this divine being. Um, Here's the purest definition of love. God cannot abandon love. It underpins his very existence. No one gets to define love and overrule God's definition. Otherwise, they become the ultimate divine being. And you'll note that the words cannot be reversed. You know, if we say God is love, it's not love is God. But that can be what happens, isn't it? That we elevate love to divine status. In our culture, like those songs, it's the romantic love that gets talked about. Unfortunately, the breakdown of romantic love in those particular songs. If we say love is God, it puts a weight on love that it can never carry. It is too heavy. So not only are we tempted to agree with a general society of love, but we are sometimes, even when we know that there's a definition by this amazing God, King of the cosmos, we are tempted to actually reject that definition he gives us. A great example of this is uh, our friend Jonah. You might know the story, but just in case you don't, uh, God had been warning of the destruction of a city called Nineveh if they didn't turn from their evil ways. And God wanted Jonah to participate. Could do things himself, but he loves to get us involved. And Jonah, he was like, he wasn't really keen at all for that. And so he went on a journey of disobedience, and whole, but Jonah finally relented. He got to share the news with Nineveh. The people, they repented of their evil ways. They changed their thinking and their ways, and God relented from the destruction of Nineveh. We pick up the story in Jonah 4. Even after all that Jonah had experienced, this is what we read. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said? Lord, Lord, when I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's basically saying, how dare you love like this, God? I won't stand for it. Do we somehow see ourselves in Jonah, 
in our working definition of love. We are sometimes like him. We saw all that the creator of the universe is doing, his loving action to the world, defining love for all to see, and we cannot fathom it. We want to tell God what is viable and realistic and a better way to go. Maybe there's a shortcut. But somehow our mirror ball of our definition of love has got some broken facets to it. So that we, when we see God's example of love, it doesn't compute with us. So the temptation can go two different ways. We are tempted to agree with a broad society definition or we are tempted to disagree with God's definition. But I've been praying with others that today we would use this opportunity as a time to recalibrate. I want to turn to a scripture that kind of gives us a definition that we can really tie into. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It dives right in the context of discussion between God, uh, sorry, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, getting to grips with what is a God-honouring way with being the body of Christ in a local setting, to harness the spiritual gifts and natural talents that is given to them, and particularly in the gathering of believers. And he, he talks about actually in the first few verses, and we're going to skip through this really quickly just with time, he says these words, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, then I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You know, all of these things get talked about in this scripture in chapter 12 and 14. I encourage you to read it about you know, tongues and gifts of prophecy and knowing lots to pass on to people, big faith. And he said, but you can do these things with the wrong motivations. You can do them without an other-centred love. So he's saying, don't just assent to, hey, We've got the good things to do, but find a working love definition that is willing to wait for one another to share their message from God. Don't be impatient. Don't have pride over your gifts. Honour one another in the way that you gather together. Don't demand your own way. Don't be envious of another one's gifts. And that's where we pick up these words that are probably well known to you. From verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it also always perseveres. Love never fails. What a definition. And initially we're like, there's so much goodness in there, but there's actually so much complexity as well. So many things that are actually, at first glance, seem kind of against one another or there's a tension to hold. 
But think about actually putting this in as a working definition of love. Even this week, love is patient. Imagine rocking up to work less stressed when you arrive there. Even in the heavy, heavy traffic, you've gone into that traffic thinking, love is patient. This is my trajectory. Or with your new coworker, once you get to work, who's struggling to fit in or not doing their work so well, love is patient. Love does not envy. Imagine the amount of money we would save if we stopped comparing ourselves to the people who had more possessions than us. It's funny how we tend to compare with people with more, not less, isn't it? Love is not self-seeking. This seems to be kind of a paradox to the love your neighbour as yourself, which I mentioned earlier, but it's a tension to hold. Self-respecting without seeking for yourself. Love keeps no record of wrongs. How much energy do we dissipate in counting the wrongs of those who have sinned against us? Jonah was ropeable with God about this very thing. It was chewing him up from the inside out. He was so angry that God would love the people of Nineveh in the way he did. He wanted to hold a record of wrongs. You know, I know personally, I have wasted nights, days, even months chewing on the record of someone else. This is wrong against me. For some of you, maybe it's 10, 20, 60 years that you've gone by holding onto a wrong that needs God's healing touch. You know, I've seen that record of wrongs in people's bodies. They've refused to drop it, and it ages them. It cripples them in their body. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Once again, this seems at odds what I've just said, but many times to let go of the wrongs against us, we need to claim a truth or speak a truth that actually kind of pushes against the lies. Maybe the discussion that we never quite got to, we never dealt with a conflict because we never spoke the truth so that we could move into the love that God had called us to move into. When we love in the way that God puts before us, we don't have to compromise. The Holy Spirit will show us how it works together. We're going to have an opportunity to invite God to speak into our unique setting and to think about how, what is my working definition of love? How is this going to play out for me this coming week? And we want to give quite a bit of space for that this morning. Because as we have a list that comes up, that list that we've read out already, about what love is and what it isn't, we're going to ask a question, you know, what's our working definition of love? When we look at that list and we think of the context of loving our neighbour as you love yourself, 
I want us to invite God to kind of deepen these truths in our heart. Because Paul, when he's given this definition of love, he goes on to actually in verses 9 to 13 to say, we actually, we only understand this in part, this side of eternity of Jesus' return. It's not totally clear for us. We need the Spirit. You know, when completeness comes, then we'll fully know what love is like. You know, eternally, it'll make sense. Right now, we need the Holy Spirit's work to guide us into his truth. So in the time we have remaining, I don't want us to rush this. I'm going to give ourselves space. I could have a one-on-one chat with each one of you, and that would be great to do. To say, where, where is this working definition of love? Is there a temptation for you to actually take on a, a vision of love that the world is offering you and you've swallowed it, you didn't even realise? Or is there a temptation to recognise what God's definition of love is like, keeping no record of wrongs, for example, and say, no, that, that doesn't make sense. I can't accept that. So I want to lead you through a time of asking God to speak to you and I specifically. For those watching online, you like to do this as well. How to listen to what God might like to say, you might be thinking. Some of you are well-practised. Others, you might need some help. And so I want to encourage you. We start with asking in an attitude of, Here I am, your servant is listening. And as we ask, we know that the Holy Spirit wants to give us good gifts. He loves it when we ask him questions and we listen to his answer. And then we place ourselves in a a way of receiving. And you might like to actually do this in a physical way. Because often when you do, it kind of gets your whole self involved. To be just laying your hands out as you ask, here I am, your servant is listening. And then you wait. You might wait for a picture. You're like, what picture? Well, if I said, think of a tree, in your mind's eye, you could probably see a tree, you could see a trunk, you could see the leaves. It's a bit like that. Maybe God might place a picture or a word in your thinking. Maybe He'll draw you back to Scripture and we'll, if we could put that list up of those loves, the definition of love, please. Maybe uh, it's the last slide. Thank you. Thank you. Love is patient, kind, but love does not envy, boast. Love is not self-seeking, easily angered. God might put a scripture on your mind. Maybe you think you're being like Jonah. He might like say that to you this morning. Or he might like to affirm you and say, I love how you're loving the people around you. How about we do that together? 
Let's just place ourselves in an attitude of prayer. Maybe hands up to receive. Lord God, we ask that you would speak to us. Here I am. Your servant is listening. So for the next two or three minutes, just continue to speak to God. I'm listening. Show me what love really is. Show me your definition of love, God. Show me where my definition of love needs healing or redeeming or affirming. way of testing the fact that God has spoken into our lives. I wondered if someone would be as bold to kind of testify with a simple action, that if you believe God gave you a scripture or a picture or a person's name or a conviction, could you just raise a hand just where you're seated? Thank you. You know, for those that saw a picture, a scripture, a person's name, I encourage you to write it down, pay attention to it. Put it on your phone, write it on your arm, tell the person you came with. We should not despise the word of the Lord. Stay with what God has revealed to you. He is opening a window into his kingdom. You know, you may have had a story like, I never hear from God. The last time I heard from him was in 1994 when happened. But if someone asks you today, when was the last time you heard God speak uniquely to you? You can say, Sunday, 5th of March at 9.42. That's the reality of God is always speaking. God is always speaking. As I finish up, and we call the team forward to lead us in worship. You know, we as a church, you know, there's exciting possibilities when we get a definition of love like God has. 
You know, God has created us to love. He has kingdom purposes. And He may choose to give us new assignments, new possibilities, things that we thought were impossible to resolve, tensions that we felt and we feared. But when we bring love to it, when we bring His love, there are new possibilities. So thank you, Creator God, that you have made the heaven and the earth, that you've given humans a special place in your creation. Thank you that amidst the brokenness we experience in this world, you are recreating us every day as we submit to your leadership in our life. Please continue to recalibrate our working definition of love that aligns and testifies to the eternal hope that we only see things in part right now, but we get to live in the light of eternity where love never fails. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.